Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, everyone. Before we get into this week's episode, our guest, Patty Casebolt, just wanted to make sure that we let you know that we're going to be talking about mindfulness and meditation in this conversation. And those things can have enormous health benefits for a lot of people, even in small doses. But there are some individuals who may have a mental health condition diagnosis or who have experienced trauma who may find that the practice of mindfulness or meditation can bring up some increased anxiety or negative emotions. And so she always recommends that if you feel like you fall into one of those categories, that you consult a healthcare practitioner that you trust before beginning. Uh, we will be taking a mindful moment at the end of this episode. So, um, you know, feel free to skip it today if you feel like you want to check with the healthcare provider first. But I hope you'll get a lot out of this episode. Um, I had a fantastic time talking to Patty, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it too. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Berlin, and my guest today is Patty Casebolt. Patty is coming to us from outside of veterinary medicine, although she has um, interacted with us uh, weirdos in vet med before. So this isn't her first experience into the world of vet med. And we also have my little buddy, uh, Franklin, here today. I'm holding up my chihuahua for those of you listening and not watching. And so if you hear the strange creaky noise, that's him snoring. So just going to put that disclaimer out there at the beginning. Um, Patty, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. I really enjoy being here. Before we start, I'll just mention Patty is is um, here because we are working with Care Credit to bring you today's episode and several others this season. And the team at Care Credit are the ones who introduced us, and I'm very grateful for that because I think there's so much we can learn from you and learn from each other um, by looking outside of our respective fields. So I'm also very excited about that. Uh, you know, I think we tend to get in our little bubbles, and this is this is a really good thing to be talking to people outside our immediate circle. So. Um, just wanted to thank Care Credit for making that happen. Um, so, Patty, would you just give us a little background about who you are and what you do and how it is you came to be talking to me today? Sure. Excellent. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, so I'm the COO at Medical Eye Center, which is a pretty large ophthalmology practice in Medford, Oregon, and Grants Pass, Oregon, at Southern Oregon. And I've been here 32 years. And so, yeah, I started as a technician, and so I've, I've been on the clinic side, and I've been in management for a, a really long time. But... I'll tell you, Katie, the, the path that brought me here most likely is most likely what a lot of people, um, especially in healthcare, deal with, which is stress. And I developed um, some pretty serious health-related illnesses, um, several of them. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago that my doctor recommended that I get into mindfulness and meditation as a way to help because mainstream medicine wasn't helping. And it was a dramatic change. I am symptom-free, and um, I was so impressed that I continued my journey and became certified as a mindfulness meditation coach. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm here now, and I, I'm a huge believer, and I'm excited to share this information with everyone today. I, I am so glad that you said that. You know, that rings true for me this year, for sure, after having had... Um, some very strange symptoms, neurologic symptoms pop up seemingly out of nowhere. And 
all the tests are coming back normal and they're telling me that it could be stress related. And, um, and I have to admit that mindfulness med and meditation are, I'm very dedicated when it comes to exercise and try to eat well and all that. But um, I have a hard time with things that require me to be still. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I diagnose myself as like an A plus 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 diagnose, you know, personality type, like so, yeah. so driven and I work ridiculous hours and my family calls me a workaholic, you know, I need help. But um, I have discovered, I want to share with you today, how someone like me, maybe someone like you can work in mindfulness. Um, so if you're thinking like sitting on a cushion for 20 minutes or half an hour, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about, I mean, that's great if someone wants to do that, but really this is more for the working person who wants to find more manageable ways to work in mindfulness throughout the day, those micro moments of pause. I love that. So everybody listening, if you are like me and you hear the words mindfulness or meditation and you're like, mm, not for me, like I like to run really hard or like jump up and down when I need energy or, you know, um, push, push harder instead of, um, instead of taking a, a minute or more to be still, then I encourage you to stick around because um, I think this is going to, this is very helpful for people like me to hear ways that we can do this without feeling like we have to completely change who we are and how we go about life. So, yeah. um, so before we get started um, talking about that, I like to know a little bit about our guests um, on a personal level, and I'm trying to find new ways to do that with, uh, as we progress through these episodes. And I was at this restaurant um, a couple weeks ago at this biscuit restaurant. And yeah. instead of taking your, <laughs> instead of taking your name, uh, they actually ask you a question. There's like a question of the day and then they use your answer to call out your order when it's ready. And their, their question was, what would the title of your autobiography be? And so I thought that was a great question because you can learn a lot about someone that way. So Patty, what would the title of your autobiography be? Gosh, that's a, a tough one. I, I think, uh, I think about this sometimes. I was actually asked this a few months ago, and I came up with two. Can I have two? Sure. <laughs> second edition. Second edition, that's right. Right. It's a second edition, yeah. So and to me, it's something like um, the joy was in the journey. And, Love it. Um, you know, my aunt told me once that, you know, you can't, if you race through your life, you're just racing towards your gravestone. And, to, you know, slow down and smell the roses. So, yeah, for me, I've discovered that finding joy is actually in every moment of the journey. Love um, that. And then I think the second one I would choose would be uh, she followed her heart and discovered her gypsy soul. And I always call myself a closet hippie because, you know, on the outside, I'm this, like, very professional, mainstream person. <laughs> and yet inside, yeah, there's something that really appeals to me about living this free spirit life, right? Yeah, that I, that's really, those are lovely. And I think um, a lot of people can probably relate, especially the last couple of years when I think a lot of people realized that they didn't have to stay put, yeah. um, you know, and I love also that you've been working at the same company for 32 years and you still see yourself as constantly changing and um, having that gypsy soul. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Lifelong learning is important to stimulate, you know, yeah. the heart. Yep. Be passionate. Yep. Love it. Okay. Well, I do feel like I know something about you now and that that's, those are beautiful. So, um, so let's, let's get into it. You know, I, first of all, I think, like I said, it's really important that sometimes we'll see people in veterinary medicine sort of feeling antagonistic about people in human health care because 
they feel like people equate us and it's not the same, or they feel like people don't treat us with the same respect that they treat human healthcare professionals. And I, I don't love that contentious nature of that conversation. I really think there's so much we can learn from each other. And because human medicine and human healthcare have probably more resources dedicated to them in terms of research and um, things that you know, affect our well-being as professionals, I think we should pay attention and think about the ways that we might be alike versus the ways that we're different. So um, so I do think that's really important and something that at least it seems like we're starting to have more conversations about. Um, in your opinion, do you see similarities between um, what we're going through, what you know about what we're going through in veterinary medicine from a well-being perspective and what's happening in human healthcare? Absolutely, Katie. I think, you know, for for both industries, especially these last two years since the pandemic, the challenges of, you know, being short-staffed, you know, the resources, very, very limited. I think patients, whether they're, you know, the human patients or the patient, you know, owners um, in, in the veterinary world, just seem like their coping mechanisms are very diminished. And so I think to be a provider and then to be dealing with the challenges of, you know, how to come across in an empathetic way while under all of this stress is very challenging. And ironically, Katie, I knew we were going to do this podcast today, and I, I saw an, an uh, article last week um, that was from Kaiser Health News, and it was actually about vet, the veterinarian world. And it said, the title was, it's not just physicians and nurses, veterinarians are burning out too. And it talked about that during the pandemic, 23 million families adopted pets. And the fact that there were more people were working at home, they paid more attention to their pets. So they noticed maybe illnesses or symptoms that required them to bring their pets you know, in to be seen. And so this onslaught of um, new pet owners or maybe new symptoms that hadn't been treated before created even more um, demand on veterinarians. Right. And so the other thing it talked about was the fact that some people um, just really can't afford the care. And so we're choosing to euthanize their their pets. And so as a veterinarian, being faced with that dilemma of knowing that you can help this, you know, poor creature. Yeah. And yet, you know, the human part, you know, is saying no. And so just that onslaught of additional stress has really impacted, I think, the veterinarian industry. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that I think it's called moral distress, um, where you know you can do something to help and your hands are tied yeah. in some way yeah. from being able to do it. Um, and in, in vet med, that is a daily occurrence, um, especially for people like emergency. Right. Um, vet teams and yeah I do think that contributes a lot and I have wondered how that is different you know for human health practitioners who at least generally have more resources to help but also though they're helping humans who are sometimes can be notoriously difficult to help <laughs> well they don't necessarily want to help themselves exactly, so. exactly. I mean humans are at more choice right you know they have mm -hmm. choice and they can communicate in a way that we can understand and so even if they do choose to not pursue medical treatment, I don't know. I, think, I, I, I certainly see it in our office. You know, we, yeah. we see about 250 patients a day. So, you know, a lot of people coming through the door. And not everybody chooses to move forward with their health, you know, in, yeah. in, in a positive way. 
So for sure, I think that that, um, I've heard it from our own providers of just how frustrating that is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so therefore, you know, what we're talking about today is what can we do then? You know, um, I'm not a provider um, like you, but what can providers do? What, what can their staff do to deal with, um, this increased stress that's, you know, an onslaught every single day? Uh, How can we, how can we minimize that in in the best way that we can? Yeah. Well, and one of the ways that was recommended to you and now you feel so strongly about and you're that you want to pass it on to everyone that you can is mindfulness and meditation. And um, so again, not something I've historically stuck to. And I've heard the same thing from a lot of people. And yet it seems like all the really, really successful people that I know, um, or that I've heard of, or who write write books about success, um, all seem to have some kind of mindfulness practice. Um, Do you have like a like a 30 to 60 second, you know, elevator pitch or something that you can sort of, when people start, you can see them start to switch off when you talk about it, that you can persuade them to stick around for a little bit longer and learn more. Yeah. I think if it's just mental health, you know, and mental health is as important as the, as the rest of our body, if not more important, right? So there's yeah. the health aspect and then asking someone if they see themselves as a leader, because whether they're a leader at home as, you know, a parent or they're a CEO or they're an owner of a clinic, we're all leaders in our own right. And there has been so much research on mindfulness and meditation and how that can improve leadership skills. In fact, I'm reading a book right now called um, Becoming a Better Leader Through Mindfulness. And it's talking about finding that space to lead and that as a leader, if I have a presence that is grounded I'm going to be a better leader than I'm if I'm emotionally unregulated throughout the day. Well, that makes perfect sense because I know my my stress level gets up high and then I tend to be short-tempered and that never makes for a good leader. So Absolutely. Can you tell us about what the difference is between mindfulness and meditation? I know we often use them interchangeably. Absolutely. Yeah, there's um, many different definitions if you, if you just Google it. Um, and I, I like going back to the person who really coined um, the term mindfulness. And uh, mindfulness is a state of being, if you just think about that. And meditation is a tool to achieve that. So said a little differently, John um, Kabat-Zinn, who was really the person, he's kind of like the father of mindfulness, this is his definition. He says that mindfulness is the awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So that means as you become aware of what's going on um, for you in this present moment, you're not judging yourself for that awareness. And the mind is an amazing uh, time-traveling machine. If you think about that, you know, I mean, how often uh, myself, we can spend time in the past and really, you know, regretting things or, you know, ruminating on things that we did, wish that we had done differently, or we can time travel to the future and worry about all the things that, you know, could be possible. Like I'm a great catastrophizer. Like I can really save <laughs> a lot of time, right? And so that's just energy that goes away when you really think about how much energy you spend any given time that is not in this present moment. In fact, I was reading an article a few years ago from the Harvard Business Review that talked about studies they had done and at any given moment, 
49% of the time, we are not in this present moment. That's almost 50%. So if you think about ways in which you could minimize that number, how much more effective we would all be if we were actually right here, um, rather than time traveling around, right? So meditation is just simply a tool. That's one tool. It's possible to be mindful without actually meditating. And I think that's the part that most people get confused. They think that they're one and the same and they're actually different. Meditation is a tool or a practice that helps an individual use a technique that trains their brain, right? It trains their attention to become aware of this present moment and achieve a mentally clear and emotionally calm and stable state. So it's really about um, wiring the two halves of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive part of you know, problem-solving part of our brain, and the amygdala, the emotional part of our, you know, fight, flight, freeze. And when I am becoming, you know, defensive or scared or any kind of um, emotional response, most of us um, go right to that amygdala part, you know, not problem solving. Um, and so the wonderful thing about mindfulness is they've shown in studies, we can talk about that here more in a little bit, about how those two regions of the brain actually wire together. And therefore, I'm able to be more emotionally regulated um, and access that problem-solving part of my brain uh, real-time in the moment when I need it most. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, and that, that makes so much sense that mindfulness is that judgment-free awareness, whereas meditation is actually like an intentional mm -hmm. sort of exercise, brain exercise. Right. Um, and that, that's useful for me, like the difference between movement and exercise. Well, and I also think, Katie, and I think this is so true, everyone I've ever experienced in the veterinary industry has an amazing amount of empathy. And I know that's true in, you know, in healthcare, you know, people, healthcare as well. But I do think that the industry as a whole um, in the veterinarian world, I think that's a value, a high value of being empathetic. And one of the reasons I think that mindfulness is so important to increase empathy is that the difference is, you know, you know, between sympathy and empathy is sympathy is I can relate to what's going on for you, but empathy is I'm actually feeling it myself. And the problem with empathy can be if I really allow myself to be in the same space as you emotionally, now we're both in the trench, right? So there's this kind of one-off layer of compassion versus true empathy where now I have access to my problem-solving part of the brain, and I'm not in the amygdala, right, and I'm feeling all the emotions with you. And that's where mindfulness really helps me bring up that resource of still being empath empathetic and feeling with you, and yet kind of being that resource for you that I can help problem-solve despite what's going on for you emotionally. That's interesting, too. We don't think very often about the difference between empathy and compassion, about being able to understand what someone's going through without putting yourself in that situation and feeling all those feelings, because that is so exhausting. Absolutely. And it kind of makes me wonder if we should call it empathy fatigue instead of compassion fatigue. It's true. It's true. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands you're busier today than perhaps ever before. To help free up your time, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on their own smart device.
With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs. And you get a few more minutes to take care of patients, take care of business, and take care of yourself. There's another great book called The Art of Empathy that I read. And I, I because I work with a lot of um, patients who have really received, you know, devastating news about their eyesight. And what I was noticing for myself is absolute fatigue. Like, now at the end of the day, just being almost feeling depressed. And what I noticed through doing so much mindfulness and meditation is I was able to tap into a resource that I hadn't been before. And although I was still feeling, you know, what was going on for them, I was able to like the oxygen mask when they tell you on the plane to put it on yourself first before anyone else, right? Them, it's sort of the same thing. It's like, if I'm taking care of my mental health, I'll be able to show up every day at my best and therefore um, help, you know, be helpful for other people. You had mentioned a few minutes ago about some studies that they've done to show um, the, the changes that actually happen from a, a regular meditation practice. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know we have a very evidence-based audience Absolutely. for the most part. We love, we love data, so. <laughs> no, and I get that um, because I, I am the same. I am a little bit of a skeptic. Um, even though, like I say, I'm kind of a closet hippie, you know, I still am very much mainstream, want to know the, you know, the data. Um, and so the first time I was introduced to this was at a mindfulness summit at UC Berkeley um, many years ago. And they talked about a study that had been done in 2008 at the um, University of New York. And it's where they took Tibetan monks and they were doing functional um, MRIs, so fMRI. And they were looking at how their brains were firing under stressful um, situations. And what they discovered is that instead of that kind of switching, like we were talking about, like going from the prefrontal cortex back to the amygdala, they noticed that these monks were able to maintain activity in both sides of their brain. And they, and they found that that was highly unusual. Like for most people, that just doesn't happen. And so the studies were um, expanded uh, Harvard took place um, in this study, and the biggest study was done at University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Madison, right? They did an eight-week study where they took um, long-term meditators and people who had never meditated, and they put them through um, a study for eight weeks. And what they noticed is that four weeks, they still hadn't seen a big difference between the non-meditators. But what they discovered is that eight weeks the brains of the people who had not ever medica med medicated, meditated, uh, medicated through meditation, that had never meditated were working the same as those who had meditated like their whole lives. And they were astounded at the results. And so they have done several other studies that have um, confirmed these results. Now, it's kind of a good news, bad news situation because the neuroplasticity of the brain they were finding is wiring itself together, those two regions, through you know a minimum of eight weeks. However, for those who stop meditating, the wiring goes back. So just like exercise, which I admit that I'm not the best at uh, ongoing, you know, an exercise routine, what I have found through my life now is that if I stop meditating, I will go back to this kind of unregulated emotional response um, versus even under a very stressful situation. If I've been meditating routinely, I'm often surprised at my internal response that I feel calm, 
and collected and able to respond in a reasonable way rather than an unregulated way. That is fascinating. Uh, and for somebody like me who likes to find goals, like I can think, okay, I could probably say I'm going to try this for eight weeks. You know, I could probably do that because it has a beginning and an end. And then I can say, okay, if I don't feel any different at eight weeks, maybe I could give myself permission to change right. something or stop. Right. But if, if there's a good chance that during that eight weeks, something will change and the wiring can start to shift, that is not a very long time. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if your listeners have ever heard of Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, he's the clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA School of Medicine. But he's written many books, especially around child psychology. Um, but he has really put effort into proving this, you know, started off as a theory and now has been proven time and again in these studies. But he's fond of saying um, where attention goes neural firing flows and neural connection grows. That's one of his, like, you know, he likes to say that quote a lot. And I, it really struck me about, yeah, that thinking about the neurons, you know, rewiring themselves together as a physical thing. It's not just, you know, a woo woo uh, thought that this is maybe more psychosomatic, you know, it's, it's truly happening. And I think for you, Katie and others, journaling or making note as you go along on this journey for eight weeks and noticing for yourself if this is really you know if you really see a difference that is true i mean we think a lot about we hear a lot about intention now you know and kind of set your intention for the day and how's it going to be and i know that at least when i was in full-time practice like i would set my intention for the day to be okay i'm going to be Zen and I'm just going to take each thing as it comes and I'm not going to overreact and I'm going to breathe before I talk <laughs> and then I would get to work and it's like before I even put my purse down you know somebody was asking me a question and that all just went instantly out the window yeah. and so it, it sounds like you kind of have to make it muscle memory a little bit that like if you keep up these practices that maybe you can train yourself um, so that when you don't when you initially would want to just react, that your brain is able to do that thinking for you and say, okay, put the brakes on for just one second. And what you're saying now reminds me, Katie, about learning to breathe in a, in a way that is effective, right? Because most of us, and I didn't know this until I was actually in physical therapy after an, inju in, an injury, that we breathe in the top part of our lungs. It's shallow, shallow, quick breaths, especially under stress. But we may not learn how to breathe effectively. And so one thing that people can do is just simply to put one hand on their chest, one hand on their belly, and to take a deep breath and to see if their hand on their belly expands. You can also put your hand on your belly and your hand on the back, on your lower back, and take a deep breath and see if your hand on your belly expands. Because it really takes, in order to oxygenate, oxygenate ourselves, it really takes that full breath and learning to breathe down into the belly. Because if you're like me, like I've, my whole life I've held my belly in because, right, you know, I don't want my belly. Yeah, no. we're trained from a very young age, especially with men, to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. And so all we've done is train, you know, our abdominal muscles to hold ourselves in. And if you've ever looked at um, a belly dancer, for instance, their bellies kind of pooch out because they're using their bellies in a different way. And so not that if you start breathing into your belly, your, your belly is going to pooch out. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but 
you will start learning to breathe in a more effective way that will calm very soon. Like it doesn't take too many breaths um, to really experience a, a shift. Yeah, that's definitely true. I've noticed I'm a chest breather, not a belly breather yeah. most of the time. Um, like I'm sure most of us are, like you said. Um, so, all right, well, let's, let's get into then what can we do. So regardless of our role in the hospital or what our day is looking like or how busy we are, do you have some tips for how anybody can start to incorporate mindfulness into their day? I do. So, so I have prescri- a prescription for uh, stress reduction, right? Or just more effective leading or however you want to frame it. Um, there are ways, these micro moments that you don't have to sit on a cushion for, you know, 30 minutes a day to achieve kind of what you're saying, Katie, like this zen-like feeling inside, right? So it starts with, and you've already mentioned it, setting an intention in the morning. So as soon as you wake up, asking yourself, what is my intention for the day? That's very different than a goal. So a goal is action, you know, actually moving towards something rather. Intention is more open-ended and non-judgmental. So maybe my intention today is to... Um, create micro moments throughout the day. Maybe that's all my intention is, is I'm going to take care of myself in that way. And then throughout the day, I just continue to remind myself what was my intention when I woke up this morning, right? And it can be the same. You know, one thing I've learned about setting intentions is it doesn't necessarily have to be a different intention every morning. You might decide that your intention is going to be this entire week. And sometimes that's even more helpful to get that ingrained in, um, experience what that's like so those also takes the pressure off of having to say okay what's my intention and then suddenly you're stressed out about setting an intention which is not the point that's exactly right that becomes a goal instead of an intention so um the next thing would be in the morning when you're eating breakfast and drink maybe drinking your coffee of doing so in a mindful way so that means taking a moment to Really pay attention because remember, mindfulness is about being in this present moment. So putting the phone away, you know, putting the screen time down um, and really absorbing what it feels like using all five senses. So, you know, what does my breakfast smell like? What does it taste like? What's the texture? Um, What does it sound like? Am I crunching? And it might sound silly, but it is a way of becoming present without any... um, you know, complicated tools. That's one thing. Um, that, and that's kind of easing you into your morning as a micro moment. The next thing is on your drive in to work, take a different route. When we go to work every day, it's easy. And you, I'm sure you probably like me somehow ended up at work and had no idea how I got there. Oh yeah, for sure. Don't remember the route. So if you force yourself to take a different route, um, your brain is is forced to to be more present, you know, to pay attention. The other thing is, I love this one, is breathing into the belly at the stop lights. So anytime you stop for a red light, just breathe into your belly, pay attention to your breath until a green light happens. And that's a way of becoming present. Very easy. That's something that as a person who's chronically like five minutes later than I wanted to be, I have had to do intentionally many times because I'm sitting there at the red light or like behind the train that's taking forever or whatever. And 
without breathing, I'd be screaming and like pounding the steering wheel. <laughs> Not healthy. <laughs> so right. yeah, do, doing that on purpose before you get to that level sounds even better. It, definitely. Yeah. Control the adrenaline, you know, rush, the cortisol spike. Um, the next is walking meditation and you can do this, you know, at your lunch break, but I like to start when I come from the parking lot into the building, literally paying attention to how my foot is falling on the, on the ground. Like, you know, where my weight is transferring from the ball of my foot to the heel, then looking and what am I noticing? Sometimes you can say, what are five new things that I've noticed just from the parking lot in? Because again, I can get into autopilot, just walk in and be thinking about my first meeting or, you know, that report that was due last night that I didn't finish. So forcing again, that presence and using all five senses. So what do I smell? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? Um, maybe even, you know, what does the air taste like, which, you know, doesn't sound like you could taste the air, but if you pay attention, there are subtleties, right? Um, and then as you are walking into the building, ask yourself, what is my purpose for being here? We talked about this earlier, Katie. What what is your purpose for why you became a veterinarian? And to remind yourself of that is helpful to get out of the maybe resentful space of oh my gosh, I'm just working so many hours, I feel out of control, you know, my staff um, aren't showing up, or what you know, all of the negatives that um, like anybody you know I can ruminate over and just get obsessed with. Going back to the original, why am I here? Um, what do I want to um, give back in, in what way is helpful? Um, the other thing about doors, doors can be a real key. Anytime you pass through a door, so if you're coming into the office, you know the door is a moment to pause and remind yourself as you go in that door, three things. What are my thoughts right now in my head, in my body? What are sensations that are present right now? And then in my heart, what are emotions that are present right now? And that's another way of bringing yourself micro moment, right? Just a quick check in. How am I doing in those three areas? Head, you know, the, the mind, the head, the body, the heart. Um, the other things that you can do throughout the day is start meetings with a mindful minute. So in, in our office with our management team, anytime we start a meeting, we have this little device you can buy on Amazon to record music. And we've recorded a minute of music and we play that in the background and we all breathe together and it allows us to become present into this meeting right now because most of us are running from you know one thing to the next and it's just lovely to come together in that way and if you're not with other people you can do that for yourself love that idea and that also would work in remote meetings too which sometimes is even more important yes yeah yeah. Have you ever caught yourself in a remote meeting looking over and answering email and not really being in the meeting? Never. never. <laughs> that's never no. happened. <laughs> and then that's inevitably when someone asks you a direct question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of our partners asked me uh, last week a, a, a minute, a meeting, you know, in, the, in the meeting, in the partner meeting, asked me a question. And what does Patty think about that? I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> get busted. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so another way of becoming present is to practice mindfully listening to the other person. And it's different than active listening. Active listening is uh, behavior, right? We can all practice active listening. We know what that looks like. But an intention of mindfully listening is looking deeper. So I'm hearing your words. 
what is going on that I'm looking at you? What's going on in your body? What are the nonverbals? Because we communicate 93% of the time nonverbally. So there's so much there in your tone, you know, uh, the rise and the pitch, how your body language is with me. And what emotion am I picking up underneath your words? And so if I'm listening mindfully, that takes uh, an intention, right, to be really with you. And it's amazing if you've never experienced someone else mindfully listening to you, it's a real gift. And so that's another way to become present throughout the day. And that seems like um, it would be a good thing to do, especially if you're sort of having these conversations with clients by rote, you know, it's like, yep, got to talk to another client about their dog's weight or yep, you got to talk to another client about why, you know, the, what they believe about nutrition may not actually be the best for their dog. And that can get so mechanical story and they need, they need us to listen. And that can be very difficult, but I think that is a really good intention to set for those conversations. Yeah. You know, I, I learned through another training that I've done is, um, you know, behind every behavior is a positive intention for that person. So to understand what they're, even though it might not seem positive, but to understand what their motivation is, like you were saying, you know, if someone's not feeding their animal, you know, the best nutrition, what is going on for that person? Because there's a reason behind that. Maybe it's financial. Maybe they don't understand uh, and think, you know, that um, feeding scraps off the table is, you know, loving. <laughs> there's, you know, all kinds of reasons. But discovering what the reason is for that person requires mindfully listening. Another, I think, important, um, really important thing that I forget to do for myself often, Katie, is the, the micro moments of break whether that is a bio break, you know, I can go hours and my mind and my body are disconnected. I don't even know, you know, oh my gosh, you know, bathroom break would be great right now. Um, yeah. maybe it's forgetting to eat, you know, flying through the day and eating my lunch at three 30, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So if you find that it's difficult to find a space in the office where you're not going to get interrupted, even going into a bathroom, nobody interrupts you usually right in the bathroom, uh, go into the bathroom and lock the door and set your timer on your phone for a minute and literally breathing for even a minute can reset so much and just give you that presence of mind of like, I'm doing this for me and nobody can get to me right now. Um, this one minute is all for me. <laughs> so I love that. Didn't we are so conditioned in healthcare and veterinary care to not take that time for ourselves during the day. It's like we think we're not as worthy or not working as hard if we take a minute for ourselves. And that's just, just not true. It's almost, for me, it has felt like a badge of honor. Like even, you know, before COVID, I, I just think about how often most of us came to work sick and worked through it. And, you know, all these things that like, I don't need a break. I can power through. And that means that like you're saying, more worthy or more important significance or competency. It's like, wow, look at me, you know? And honestly, what I have found in our office is the more we take care of ourselves, the more others are looking at that and giving themselves permission. And so it's, it's supportive. And we haven't realized, we've talked about it a lot as a group, as a management team, how we have mirrored that unhealthy behavior with each other and supported this unhealthy um you know, culture versus really changing that and talking about it and talking about our fears. Like, well, what if I worked until 8.30 last night and come in at 9? Are you judging me? Because, you know, or do I flood your email box 
with excuses of I'm going to come in late because I worked till 9:30 last night, right? And so, um, yeah, the healthier I think approach is to be open, transparent with our fears, and what works for us. You know, what what would work for me? What would work for you to support yourself in a healthy way of not working yourself into the ground? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd like to close here with a mindful minute for our listeners. Um, and so if you're listening to this in a place where you can't take a minute and I'll come back to the end of this episode um, and take this mindful minute with Patty, um, you, you can take it for yourself. And it's a form of leading from within the team. If you're not a manager and you're not a practice owner, but you, you feel strongly that this is something that would help you and would help everyone on your team, you can lead by example by doing this for yourself. Um, so I would encourage everybody today to just set the intention now to take a mindful minute for yourself sometime throughout the day. So Patty, when you're ready. Excellent. So Katie, I'd like to invite you and your listeners to sit back and um, get yourself comfortable with your feet on the ground and firmly seated in your seat with your back against your supportive cushion or wherever you are. And next, I would like to invite you to close your eyes. And if you're not comfortable with that, just softly gazing down towards um, the floor is fine as well. And just notice your breath. Bringing your attention to your breath. See if you can increase your breath all the way down to your belly. Maybe even putting your hand on your belly and see if you can feel your breath. Rise flow out. And now bringing your attention to the pause at the top of your breath. And at the exhale. And now I invite you to think about your happy place. Maybe that's somewhere that you like to vacation. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's with family or a friend. Just bring that to mind right now. And as you have that in your mind, I want you to pay attention to what you notice. What are the sounds that you hear there? How does your body feel as you think about this place? Now bringing your attention back to your breath. Again, breathing naturally all the way down to your belly. And now bringing your attention back to your body, noticing your feet on the floor, the weight on the chair, bringing your attention back to this space. You can open your eyes when you're ready. Patty, thank you. I feel much more grounded and it helps to have a sleeping pet on your lap when you do this, but obviously that's not a requirement, but I'm starting to believe that may be why we find that so relaxing because they're already doing that. And just feeling that presence on, on your body is, is um, a way to make you more aware. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great, a great example of being present with your, your loved one there in your lap and petting them and, you know, feeling their fur is a, a definitely, definitely a great way to become present. Well, Patty Casebold, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope everyone has gained something from this episode because I definitely have. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Katie. It's been fun. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time.
I hope you got as much as I did out of this conversation. Uh, after we stopped recording, I actually told Patty that I wanted to stick to a mindful minute at the beginning and end of my workday every day for a month. And I was going to report back to her and she said she would check up on me. So this episode is going to come out after that month is done, I believe. So I am putting it out here that I succeeded even though it hasn't happened yet, because that's going to be my accountability. So I really want to try this for myself. And I would challenge any of you to think about whether you want to try just incorporating a mindful minute into your day too. I also want to give Care Credit another big thank you for making this episode possible, both by introducing us to Patty um, and by making it possible for her to come and talk to us today and um, give us all this wonderful advice. So Care Credit, thank you very much. Um, we're so excited and pleased and proud to partner with you on these conversations. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.